Thank you, Willie. Good morning. It is good to see you all this morning. Oh, if you would, go ahead and open up your Bibles to the book of Matthew, chapter 5. If you don't have one with you, there is a Bible app you can pull out on your phone, and, and we put all of our information on there. Matter of fact, you can get my outline on that Bible app and look for the events area, and you'll find our church located there. Or there's Bibles there underneath the chairs that you can use as well. But let's look at Matthew, chapter 5. We're going through our sermon series uh, covering Jesus' Sermon on the Mount found in Matthews 5, 6, and 7. And we're, we're going through a part where Jesus makes these statements, you have heard that it was said, but I say to you. Now he does that six times in this little section, and we've already looked at three of those. You've heard that it was said, and he talked about murder and anger, and Jesse did that for us a few weeks ago. Then he also talked about the, the idea of, of adultery and lust and marriage and divorce. And this week, we're going to dig into an area that I think is very fitting that we, we have a conversation about. It's about the area of the integrity of our words, that we are true to what we say. Surveys have shown that Americans lie more today than any other time in history, at least as, as what we recorded. As a matter of fact, it, it seems that it's become our favorite pastime, is lying. Um, our society has a problem with being honest. They are dishonest, and they have this deep aversion, it seems, to truth. And we read about it, and we see it, and we hear it all the time. However, it's nothing new. Back in 1991, James Patterson had written a book that was entitled, The Day America Told the Truth. All right, and in it, this is what he says. This is back over 30 years ago. Americans lie. He goes on, he says, they lie more than we ever imagined when we began this study. But they told us the truth about how much they lie. And he goes on to say, just about everyone lies. Matter of fact, he says in 1991, 91%, 91% of us lie regularly. The majority of us find it hard to go through a week without lying. Wow. <laughs> I'm, I'm amazed. And yet, I'm not. Gina Scott he introduced his book, which is the truth about lying, or her book, The Truth About Lying. It was written in 2010, and, and she says in the introduction there, in the recent years, we have been facing a crisis of conscience over the state of our nation. We have, we've been going through a national soul-searching and judging, assessing ourselves in the light of traditional core values of honesty and ethics and reviewing and purging many fundamental institutions in revulsion to a decade of greed and excess. Why? Here's the reason. Because we have seen more and more indications that acts of lying, deception, and other unethical deeds for short-term gain and personal advantage may have deeper more serious consequences in undermining the bonds of trust that create relationships in community and give strength to the nation as a whole. 
So this morning, I want to ask just a few questions in my sermon. And the first one is this. Why do we lie so much? Have you ever asked your child, why did you lie? I mean, I remember I've been asked that question. Why do we lie so much? Well, studies have shown that we often lie to to protect ourselves and to avoid punishment. We lie to to gain an advantage somehow. We lie to get people to, to agree with us. We lie because we want to escape blame. We lie to get out of something that we don't want to do, and we lie to make ourselves look better. Some of us even lie to protect others' feelings. Voltaire was a theological, he was a deist during the Age of Enlightenment, and he said this. He said, I am very fond of the truth, but I am not fond of martyrdom. Now, if I could put that in simple language for us who may not be as enlightened as Voltaire, I think what he is simply saying is this. He's saying, I would really like to live in a world that, where we tell the truth all the time. But I have to come to realize that if I tell the truth all the time, then one day someone's going to kill me. You know, so I've got to lie to protect myself, right? And that's what he's saying. Right now, with the advancing technology that we have in, at our hand, at our fingertips today, the, the mechanical genius of what we call artificial intelligence, you're hearing a lot about it right now, AI, artificial intelligence. Our world is moving rapidly into an ever-increasing era of deception and dishonesty and duplicity. Let's pause a second and take a look at this. In April, this past spring, Boris Edalgson, he is a German photographer. He won the Sony World Photography Award, which he has since turned down because his photography that he had submitted was not a picture he had taken, but it was AI-generated. And he had submitted it in a photographic content. You look at that and you think, wow, this is, this is unreal. All right. Now that's caused quite a stir among the art folk today because they want reality rather than something that is generated and false. And so there's a lot of, lot of scuttlebutt talk going on right now all over the internet, all over the world because of this submission that won the photographer's contest of the world. And it really isn't a photograph. All right. Now, AI programmers, designers, they call these fabricated pieces of work, they don't call them lies. I've discovered they call them hallucinations. Just use a different word for it, right? I mean, it's just simple what we're saying, all right? And it's getting even worse. If you begin doing an inner search for topics of history or politics, you might get an answer that is generated by the artificial intelligence which captures quotes and information from what they call now fake news. And it presents them as factual answers to the questions that are being asked. Now the experts of the internet, they don't understand why AI is behaving this way either. For instance, according to Google, who have created their own artificial intelligence programming called BARD, 
And it's meant to function similar to another program called ChatGPT. And it pulls its information from the World Wide Web and from Google's search engine. It doesn't discriminate as to what is truth or what is fiction. And it will at times present inaccurate and false information as fact. Even our computers don't know what is true and what is false. But they will propagate it as true. We think about this. I mean, lies are everywhere in abundance. They're, they're everywhere. They're even in the preschool. I mean, we start at an early age learning to lie. All right? And as we progress towards our next presidential election, all I want to say is beware. Because everybody running probably is going to lie, or somebody's going to lie for them about them. It doesn't matter who they are. So how do you know the truth? The tragedy is that it's as brilliant as Americans as we are, we can no longer tell who is telling the truth or who's telling a lie. We just need to be able to discover who's telling the least amount of lies. Right? All right, so back in 1996... While he was being interviewed by Larry King on the Larry King Live show, George Stephanopoulos made this statement about President Bill Clinton. He said, The president has kept all the promises he intended to keep. <laughs> now, <laughs> that blows me away. I'm going to make a promise, but I don't intend to keep it. All right? But that's what he says. He's kept all the promises he intended to keep. A chaplain at the Kansas Senate House by the name of Fred Holloman, he, he was well known for his plain spoken in, in, invocations and his prayers at the beginning of opening the sessions of Senate. During one of his prayers, he asked God to help in discerning truth. Listen to what he said. He said, omniscient Father, that means the God who knows everything, all-knowing God, omniscient Father, help us to know who is telling the truth. One side tells us one thing and the other just the opposite. And if neither side is telling the truth, we would like to know that too. And if each side is telling half the truth, give us the wisdom to put the right halves together. In Jesus' name, amen. I mean, you think about this. We want to know the truth, but yet we're afraid to tell the truth when we're asked. We live in a world that is being built upon deception. And as prevalent as, prevalent as lying and deception are today, they are nothing new. They have been around a long time. Historically, you can go back to the very beginning in creation. Go into the Garden of Eden, into the innermost place, right next to that tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And we find a conversation between Satan, who had disguised himself as a serpent, talking to Eve... And in his deceptive conversation, he convinced her that what God was saying was really a lie. And if truth be told, he was lying. Unfortunately, she believed him, and the rest is history. Now, we now live not in a Garden of Eden, nor in paradise, 
but rather in a fallen, corrupt, and broken world. In John chapter 8, the religious leaders of Jesus' generation, the scribes and the Pharisees, they, uh, they, wanted, they didn't want to know the truth about him. And they refused to accept that he was their long-awaited Messiah. And so he said this to them in John 8, 44 and 45. You are your father's, you are of your father, the devil, and your will is to do your father's desire. Now he was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character for he is a liar and the father of lies. But because I tell you the truth, you do not believe me. We have a problem with that in our generation today, don't we? People can speak the truth and we just simply don't want to believe them because we don't want to believe them. Jesus now in his Sermon on the Mount here in Matthew chapter 5, he wants to make it perfectly clear that those who live in his kingdom, those who are his followers, those who are Christians, we are to be honest people. We are to be people of integrity. And we are not to be people, and we are to be people who speak the truth. And most people who want you to believe what they are saying will often take an oath or they will swear by something to prove to you that they are telling you the truth. All right? And they make a vow that they are doing that, that, that what they want you to believe that what they're about to say is honest and true. So let's listen to what Jesus says here. Matthew chapter 5, verse 33 to 37. He says, again, you have heard that it was said in those, to those of old, you shall not swear falsely, but shall perform to the Lord what you have sworn. But I say to you, do not take an oath at all, either by heaven, for it is the or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. And do not take an oath by your head, for you cannot make one hair white or black. Let what you say be simply yes or no. Anything more than this comes from evil. So I have another question for you. What's an oath? That's what Jesus is talking about. Uh, they're swearing an oath to something. So what is an oath? Uh, a few definitions for you. This comes out of Irwin's Bible commentary that I read this week. An oath is an appeal to God to witness and to judge the truth of man's words and therefore bring him under solemn obligation unto the Lord but the Jews, they denied that an oath was binding unless the name of God or the gold or the sacrifices of the temple were invoked. So, you can make a, an oath, but if you don't use the name of the Lord, or if you don't use the, the gold of the temple or the sacrifices of the altar, then it's not binding. College Press NIV commentary on Matthew put it this way, an oath assumes that the reliability of one's word is suspect unless accompanied by some external confirmation. 
right? So the only reason you take an oath is because they're not going to believe me if I don't have somebody else or something else back up what I'm saying. We've lost our integrity. Dietrich Bonhoeffer said that the very existence of oaths is proof that there are such things as lies. The reason we have to swear by something is because they know we're a liar. Now, most of us are familiar with the oath of office that someone takes when they're sworn into some kind of political position right, of leadership, or the oath that a witness might take when they're in a courtroom and the bailiff stands before them and says, do you solemnly swear to tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth, so help you God? And we put our hand on the Bible and our hand up in the air and we say, I do, right? Maybe you're familiar with oaths that people take even as children. Have any of you done little pinky swear? Right? Right? Or cross my heart, hope to die, stick a needle in my eye, right? Scout's honor. So we, we look at this, and originally the primary reason for taking an oath was supposed to seal an agreement. However, by the first century, oaths had become extended out into the culture of the community and even into the marketplace. And oaths had been used where people were making deals in, 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 in their transactions. Oaths became extremely popular in society and they were becoming abused. People would take an oath and then they would break their promise for any reason at all. However... If you took an oath under the name of God, mm, it became a serious offense and a breaking of God's law. So the rabbis, as I was, I, I decided I'm going to go and look at some of the, the things in what they call the Mishnah. These are the, the, the rules that the rabbis through the history have created based upon the laws. And, and they've got little sections that deal with oaths. <laughs> I was blown away by it. These rabbis, they, they came up with ideas about how they could get around by shifting their oaths to something other than God, all right? And, and, and so they would swear an oath on Jerusalem or on the temple or on a sacrifice of the altar. But in our text, Jesus is confronting them for making those changes. And so remember what he said there in, in, in Matthew 5. But he's also going to deal with this later on in Matthew chapter 23, beginning at verse 16 through 22. He's going to say, Woe to you, blind guides! who say, if anyone swears by the temple, it's nothing. But if anyone swears by the gold of the temple, he is bound by his oath. Jesus says, you blind fools, for which is greater, the gold or the temple that made the gold sacred? And you say, if anyone swears by the altar, it's nothing. But if anyone swears by the gift that is on the altar, he's bound by the oath. He says, you blind men, for which is greater, the gift or the altar that makes the gift sacred? So whoever swears by altar swears by it and by everything on it. And whoever swears by the temple swears by it and by him who dwells in it. And whoever swears by heaven swears by the throne of God and by him who sits in it. So Jesus is telling us that there is this lack of integrity with their words, and it was making the integrity of God look bad to outsiders when they brought him into the picture and they went back.
gives us his promise and his word. But it doesn't matter by what you swear, everything all falls back onto the category that it all belongs to God. So anytime you swear an oath, you're dragging him into the picture. Numbers 32 says that if a man vows a vow to the Lord and swears an oath to bind himself by a pledge, he shall not break his word. He shall do according to all that proceeds out of his mouth. If you make a promise, you better fulfill it. But beware, Proverbs 6, 16 and 19 says, There are six things that the Lord hates, seven that are an abomination to him, haughty eyes, a lying tongue, and hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that devises wicked plans, feet that make haste to run to evil, a false witness who breathes out lies, and one who sows discord among brothers. Matter of fact, Proverbs 12, verse 22 is going to tell us that lying lips are an abomination to the Lord, but those who act faithfully, they're His delight. Jesus takes all of this to another level. He wants us to know that if our life is based on a lie, we can't be a part of his kingdom. If you're going to continue to live in lies, you can't be a part of his kingdom. The very basis of entering into the kingdom of heaven. If you remember from the beginning of his sermon, Jesus spoke of our spiritual poverty and that we need to have this repentance, and repentance begins when truth is revealed. And we have to look at ourselves and realize the truth is that we are broken. 1 John 1.8 says, If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. The Apostle Paul, when he writes to Timothy in his first letter to him, he says that the church is the pillar and buttress of truth. Now, that doesn't mean that the church creates truth, all right? But what he's telling us, that, that the church is the, is the center of truth, and it upholds truth in a world where deception and lies are commonplace. That we have got to be a place where when people know what is true and what is real, they look at the church. They look at you as a follower of Christ, and they say, there's where truth lies. When the church compromises on the unwavering truths that God has established, the entire gospel message is undercut. Colossians 2.8 says, See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit, according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. So these religious leaders, these, these scribes and Pharisees, as they're always looking for loopholes in the law that would allow them to, to kind of uh, keep the law, at least within their mind, and then that would permit them to do the things that they want to do. So the attitude developed a, a kind of loose scenario of making promises. All right, that, That's simply the way it is. They figured that if they could speak falsely in a particular situation without invoking the name of God, that they would be in the clear. So they said, let's substitute something for God's name, something else that seemed to relate to God, but really wasn't God. And so then it's not that we're really swearing and using God. 
And they had convinced themselves that if they weren't actually swearing by God's name, then what you are promising is not actually binding. It's like making a promise with your fingers crossed behind your back, right? Uh-huh. I had my fingers crossed, so it didn't really count. Right? We've all done those things. And so Jesus is going to tackle this head-on when he says that we shouldn't even swear an oath at all because any oath you make invokes the name of God because of who he is. Matthew 5, 34 to 36, he says, But I say to you, do not take an oath at all, either by heaven, why? For it is the throne of God, or by the earth, why? For it is his footstool, or by Jerusalem, why? For it is the city of the great king, and do not take an oath by your head, for you can't even make one hair of your head black or white. You just can't do anything about it. Some of us can't even grow it, <laughs> let alone make it black or white. So why should you swear by anything that you absolutely have no control over, no power, it's not yours to do anything with? Heaven isn't yours, the earth isn't yours, the city isn't yours, nothing is yours. So why are we trying to provide things to back up our oaths? Basically, Jesus is saying that God is everywhere and he is in every conversation. And if you think that you can have found some cute, clever way that you can, you can make act, making the act of deception and lying justifiable and acceptable, think again. You're wrong. So I have this final question. So how does God feel about lying and breaking our promises? Well, let's look at some things God has said about lies and deceit. Psalm 101, verse 7, he says, No one who practices deceit shall dwell in my house. No one who utters lies shall continue before my eyes. Now, if that doesn't stop you in your tracks, I don't know what does. But let's go on. Let's dig into Proverbs chapter 6, verses 12 through 15. A worthless person, a wicked man, goes about with crooked speech, winks with his eyes, signals with his feet, points with his finger, with perverted heart, devises evil, continually sowing discord. Therefore, calamity will come upon him suddenly. In a moment, he will be broken beyond healing. You want to live a life of deception? Get ready for a battle with God. Revelation 21.8. <laughs> we have the final word on all this. But as for the cowardly, the faithless, the detestable, as for murderers, the sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, man, these are a lot of wicked people, aren't they? And all liars. Their portion will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. I don't want to be known as a liar. How about you? Dishonesty, it undermines all of our relationships. It ruins our credibility. It's contrary to the very character and the nature of God whom we are created in His image and whom we are saying we are following and patterning our life after as Christians, right? In the book of Acts, there were a couple in the church that made a promise 
that as they were selling a piece of property, they were going to give all the proceeds of that property to the church to help those in need. And when it came time for them to do that, Ananias and Survivor, they kept a portion back and they lied about how much they got for the property and they still gave to the church. But nobody will know. While they thought they were deceiving men, God felt it a little bit different. And when they were confronted with, well, how much did you really get for the property? And they lied about it. God struck them dead that moment. And Ananias, as he was being carried out of the room because he lied about it, his wife was walking in and she lied about it as well. And Peter says, how can you do this, man? The guys who just carried your husband out, I mean, he's not even cold yet. And you're lying. Why are you both lying? And she was struck dead. God hates lies. But it's just a little white lie. Just fudge the truth a little bit. I didn't give all the details, right? See, the problem is that when we're dishonest and untruthful, is that we can fool other people, and we can probably even fool ourselves. If we keep telling a lie long enough, we probably will end up believing that lie ourselves. But we cannot fool God, and one day we're going to stand before Him, and every lie we've ever told will be revealed. You can't hide it. It's there. Jesus says that those who are to be a part of His kingdom are to be people of truth. So He says there in verse 37 in Matthew chapter 5, let what you say be simply yes or no. Anything else more than this comes from evil. Now his brother James, when he writes his letter, he reiterates this, this sentiment in his statement almost in the same way. Listen to what James says in, in his letter 5 uh, verse 12. But above all, my brothers, do not swear either by heaven or by earth or by any other oath and let your yes be yes and your no be no so that you may not fall under condemnation. Now, James, who says this, is a half-brother of Jesus. All right? And I bet you that they probably grew up together and Jesus says to him, James, did you do that? No, no, I swear I didn't do it, Jesus. I promise. I, you, know. you can see it. And Jesus is like, no, 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 no. You either tell me yes or no. He's heard it his entire life. Yes or no. Don't give me all those things. And he wants us to understand we have got to be the same way. Just simply be honest and let your yes be yes and your no be no. John R.W. Stott, in his book, in his commentary on the Sermon on the Mount, he writes this. About the modern applications, is, he says, is, is not far to seek, for the teaching of Jesus is timeless. He says, swearing, or oath-taking, is really a pathetic confession of our own dishonesty. Ouch. Right? Why do we find it necessary to introduce our promises by some tremendous formula? I swear by the archangel Gabriel and, and all the host of heaven, or, or I swear by the Holy Bible, right? The only reason is that we know our simple word is not likely to be trusted. Interestingly, he says the Essenes, a Jewish sect 
that were contemporary with Jesus. They lived down in the Qumran area of Israel. He says this about them. That they had high standards in this matter. Josephus, who was a Roman historian, wrote this about them. They are eminent for fidelity and are ministers of peace. Whatsoever they say also is firmer than an oath. But swearing is avoided by them, and they esteem it worse than perjury. For they say that who cannot be believed without swearing by God is already condemned. And as A.M. Hunter puts it, oaths arise because men are so often liars. We live in a world with lies and liars. And Jesus says that those who live in his kingdom are to be people of truth. We don't need to swear or resort to oaths in order for people to believe what we say. All you need to do is simply say yes or no. So let's wrap this up. Are you a person of honesty and integrity? I mean, really, look at yourself and, and, and examine yourself. Am I really honest to the core? Have you kind of put lying in the, it's a big category, you know, big deal category, and, and maybe you begin rationalize that you're technically not lying when you are really lying, right? Do people trust you when you speak? Or have you ever given them reason to doubt your words? Do you ever add some kind of an oath to get people to believe you? You know, I'm telling you the truth. I mean, I swear to God, I'm telling you the truth. I swear by my mother's and my grandmother's grave. I swear by this. I swear by... Do you ever have to promise somebody something significant to get, you, to get them to believe that what you are saying is honest and true? I mean, can you be trusted to keep your promises? And are there promises maybe that you need to follow up on and see that you fulfilled because you made them? And if you want to become a truthful person, the first thing you need to do is search for the cracks in your character and spend time looking at the major areas of life. And how do I relate at work, at home, in church? And identify the areas where you have been lacking in honesty. Look for patterns. I mean, are there certain areas that you have weaknesses in and you've always got to build up the lie to protect an image or something? Are, are, are certain situations where you struggle with the truth? We need to face the music by facing our flaws. I know I'm not perfect. But does lying have to be one of those areas that I always maintain? and just keep there in my life. Man, I have known people who have lied just to lie, just so that they can be a part of a conversation. What? 
They do it. We need to admit our mistakes and apologize to those we have hurt. We need to stop running from the truth. And we need to begin rebuilding integrity. When you tell the banker you want a loan for a car, you pay it off. You know, how many hoops do people have to jump through today to get money? All right? Hey, fill out this form and this form and this form and do all this. And then you got to stand on the toes and, you know, whatever it is. I remember my father-in-law calling up a guy. He was at a, at a dealership. I'm, I'm buying a truck, and he called up his banker, and his banker said, write the check, the money will be in your account. And I said, you just did it that simple? He said, well, yeah, I, I, you know, I've banked there for years, and he knows that if I take a loan out, I pay it off. Just write the check. The money's there. Had a friend that their car broke down in Pennsylvania. Had to put a new engine in it. While they're on the road, he calls his banker. My engine shot. The banker says, go ahead and write a check. I'll put the money in the bank. Why? Like, how can you do that, guys? Well, because they are true to their word. Rebuild your integrity. Create a plan that will make you to be a more truthful person. 2 Corinthians 1, 18-22. Paul says, As surely as God is faithful, our word to you has not been yes and no, for the Son of God, Jesus Christ, whom we proclaim among you, Silvanus and Timothy and I, was not yes and no, but in him it is always yes. For all the promises of God find their yes in him. That is why it is through him that we utter our amen to God for his glory. And it is God who establishes us with you in Christ and has anointed us and who has also put in his seal on us and given us his spirit as a, in our hearts as a guarantee. For us, God has always said yes. When he has made a promise, it has never failed. He's always backed it up. He's always done what he has said he will do. And he is still going to fulfill the promises in sending his son again. And when he comes, I want him to find me with integrity. How about you? Where you present yourself in this world... People are going to look for flaws. But we are challenged to be people who are above reproach. We are challenged to be people where there are no kinks in our armor. We are called by God to be perfect as He is perfect, to be holy as He is holy. We've got to quit walking by His grace and say, okay, I'm going to accept your grace, but now I'm going to show you how appreciative of that, and I'm going to live by your standards. We work out our salvation. We don't work for our salvation. Because I am saved, I am going to do it His way, and I'm going to be a man of truth. How about you?
Let's pray.